Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Oh, well, this is not going to work well. I didn't realise we were rolling so quickly. We... <laughs> <laughs> We're having, um, well, I'll explain. I'll explain what's happening. So we're at my house recording and I've made, so I make a really good chocolate brownie and I brag about it to anyone. It's this not my recipe. Good. That, uh, yeah, okay, let me explain. So my my best brownie that I am very proud of is actually Jamie Oliver's one. So, mm. and it came with the dish it's got lots of dark chocolate in it. it's really dark okay. but it's the best this chocolate brownie mm. came about because i have got a giant tub of chocolate quicker my son has stopped drinking it why and so I, <laughs> am i allowed to see i don't mind sharing my own things on the podcast but i can't do it to my family okay you've got to remember they've had so many years of radio of going mom don't say that on the radio he doesn't listen though his friends might. Okay. It'll get back. I'll okay. be in trouble. So anyway, he stopped drinking the chocolate quick because he didn't want to have a lot of milk. And so there's all this chocolate quick. So this recipe, I just mm. looked up Nesquik uh, chocolate brownie. It's not bad. It's not bad. But it's not great. Tastes like muffin. And that's all the banter I've got. Except, have you watched oh. on um, oh. Netflix, have you watched, uh, what's the Jewish one? Or unorthodox? Yes. No. Oh. <gasps> Got, it's really good. Oh, Kirsten's texting. She's I've been probably watching got Selling Sunset. Sorry. Uh, uh, yep. Kirsten says, unorthodox. So, so good. good. It is. It's really good. So it's it's fiction, but I think it's based on a true story um, about a girl living in an ultra-orthodox Jewish community in New York. And I love anything set in New York. And um, I don't want to spoil it. She gets away. Well, everyone knows she gets away. She mm. she gets away from them but they're not thrilled that she gets away it's amazing it gives you a real insight into the the lifestyle of those people okay and um uh, real based on real based on truth Mm. i think okay so it's only like six episodes or something i i swear i just could not stop watching it i was like quick put the next one on really yep no i've been watching trash tv like what selling sunset Oh. It's the most trash TV you ever watch in your life. I'm chewing. It's We're about people have to in it. LA selling like $40 million mansions and the oh, wow. drama. There's so much drama. Is this unpleasant for people to hear? Do you want to do the first story while I eat? Sure. Okay. Okay. So this is a story about a man called Arafin Neset. Excuse me, microphone back on again? Yeah. Did you make that name up? Nope. That's a real name. Mm-hmm. Arafin ne- or was it Neset. Nesset, I think. He was born in Norway in 1926. He was born... I keep reaching in, turning my microphone back on again. That's unusual. They don't have a lot of murders in Norway. Well, strap yourself in. Okay. Uh, He was born out of wedlock and was raised by his mother. His father was missing for his entire childhood and he never reconnected with his father as an adult. His mother remarried. However, he didn't have a relationship with his stepfather either. He ends up going and spending some time with his grandparents where they raise him for a bit, but eventually ends up back with his mother and the stepfather's gone. So early on, he decided he wanted to become uh, a doctor or a nurse and 
when he studied to do that, his friends said he was a very kind student, he was intelligent, and they said he was extremely skilled. He eventually rose... No, no, I'm just putting it on in general. Oh, okay. Sorry, Dee Dee reached to turn her microphone on and I thought that meant she was going to say Can something. You say, I finished my mouthful. Okay. I haven't drunk my tea yet. So okay. Then, mm. um, he rose through it's the like ranks. The terry bell. Do you, want, do you want the terry bell in here? What's For that? interruptions. No, it was fine. Okay. Yeah. Because I listened back to one of our episodes, the one where we, the Forest Fen one. Yeah. And there were references to the terry bell and we haven't used it for a long time. We haven't. It is here somewhere in the house. We might need it later. Okay. Uh, he rose through the ranks and at the age of 41, he became the director of a large nursing home facility. He was respected and well thought of by his peers and pretty much everyone who came into contact with him. However, after he took that position, something changed dramatically within the nursing home. And that something was the number of deaths. Oh, no. It is, of course, an aged care facility, so people are expected to die. I'm really interested in this. Yes, go. But people were dying at such a rate that it became highly suspicious, and staff were talking about it, and people, it was gossip. Can I go in early with God complex? God complex? I'll explain myself later. Mm, Okay. So the death toll is rising in this aged care facility and at the same time, the amount of medical supplies being ordered is also rising. Mm. One drug in particular was on order more and more and that drug was called um, Curset and Arafin was the one who was ordering it. Now, oh sorry, it's Curaset. Curacet, I looked it up, it's an odorless chemical, and from what I can find online, it's a medication that causes paralysis. Oh. Yes. And it's used part of general anesthesia, but it's 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 like a muscle relaxant. Yeah. It doesn't stop you feeling pain. Okay. So. What's, I wonder what that would be used for then. Well, it could be used if someone is like having a fit of some sort. Oh, I see. To just relax them. Yep. But it's not like it's not the drug they give you to put you under. Right. Okay. So basically, yeah, it stops your muscles being able to retract. Okay. It's very fast acting. Uh, doesn't put you into a state of unconsciousness, but you're basically paralyzed. But your brain is still working. You can feel everything. Oh my god! This is like the um, that book. Did you ever read? And if you haven't read it, find it somewhere. The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. It's a little bit what? complex, but it's written by the guy who... So there's a movie that Robin Williams was in called Awakenings, where he's working in a nursing home or uh, and the people are all kind of frozen and then he realises that they need patterns in order to make themselves move. Very okay. complex. Anyway, the book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, is about all these really complex... Um, uh, Mental conditions. I can't think what it, what the correct terminology would be. Okay. But um, one of them was one of the cases that he talks about. This, this uh, psychiatrist who wrote it. It was. I think it was a man woke up one morning. Yeah. And so, if you're laying flat on your back in bed. Yes. And you think I'm going to wiggle my toes. Yeah. You can picture where your toes are. Yeah. And wiggle them. So this man woke up and his brain had forgotten his body. Right. 
So he couldn't move. Oh, I hate and that. And he lived alone. Yeah. It was, so he was effectively paralysed. He couldn't – his brain couldn't picture his body to say, Ring get up toes. out of bed and go and ring a doctor. There's something wrong with you. So how long was he there for? I can't remember. I'd have to go back and read it again. But it's the most fascinating book. It's quite heavy going. But okay. in one of the cases was that there was one man who thought that his wife was a hat. That's wild. The brain can do weird things. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, um, yes, when people gay, when people were given this drug, they would normally have to have some kind of painkiller to go with it if they were going to be put under or anything mm-hmm. like that. So he's asked why he's ordering this drug in the quantities that he was, and he explained it by saying that there was a pest control problem at the facility and he was using the drug to kill rats. No. There's mm. rat poison for that. However, people are still dying and workers at the aged care facility are just not convinced. So somehow this, what's going on in this aged care facility is leaked to the media. Mm-hmm. And of course, at that stage, the pol- yes. Sorry, how recent was this? Oh, we're like He was born in 1926, so okay. at 41, we're at 1946. Okay. Um, it's leaked to the media and the police get involved. Police head over, head over to the nursing facility. They talk to Arafin and he tells the same story about the drugs used to kill the rodents and he also says that he was using them to kill stray dogs. Mm. Um, but police looked at the nursing home records and they can tell straight away that it's just odd what's going on because there's just too many deaths. But even his explanation, why would you kill stray dogs? Yeah. Give them something to eat. Don't yeah. kill them. So... When they looked at the records, they could also work out that those numbers had only been going up in the four years that he'd been there. Mm. And before that, it wasn't happening. So they're also concerned about the fact that he had ordered 300 doses of this Curacet mm. and there would just never be a need to have that many doses right. in a facility. Yep. He maintained that he was using it for pest but eventually after the pressure of interrogation he cracked and admitted to killing dozens of patients (gasps) Mm. he told them he killed 27 patients between may 1977 and november 1980 so we've actually gone quite way ahead um but that wasn't the end of it (gasps) arafin had killed so many of his patients that he told police that his numbers could be off because he was unable to remember how many lives he'd taken. So now the police are left with this dilemma that they need to go back and trace everywhere he's worked. Oh, so not just at this hospital. Wow. No. So they go through records of places he worked and they go back, I think, to about three or four different workplaces prior to the one he was at. And there should be records. They'd be able to trace some. Well, yeah, they find records going back to about the 1950s, 1960s at that point. I've got in my notes. By the time they were done, they have a list of over 60 names of people he could have killed. What? They ordered autopsies on those bodies. But, of course, some people were cremated. Oh, yeah. So there's no body. And the issue with Curacet is it actually breaks down in the system quite rapidly. Mm. So you'd have to autopsy that body almost immediately to find traces of it. So there's no point in exhuming the bodies. No. Oh, wow. No. In the end, they could only charge him with 25 murders. Oh, only 25. But they believe he could have killed up to 140 people. <gasps> 
no. Yes. What 140. The hell? He said they were mercy killings. There we are. God complex. But in the end, he admitted it was a morbid pleasure having control over life and death. Well, that's the same that's thing. That's the same thing. Yeah. You're totally right. But it... So it was control as opposed to this thing of, I want to put somebody out of their suffering. Because mm. he was killing people who were hospitalised. Yeah. Nursing home doesn't count. He just likes seeing people die. Yeah. So uh, he was found wow. sane and fit to stand trial. He was found guilty and he was given the maximum penalty at the time. 25 years. No. Plus 10 years of preventive preventative detention. In 2004, he was I wonder released. what that is. What's preventative detention? I think it's just like another 10 if they think that you're really bad. Oh, okay. Yep. In 2004, he was released and I couldn't find any trace of him dying, but it's believed he's still alive and living in Norway under a different name. I was going to say maybe he's changed his name. Yep. But they... The authorities must know where he is because they would they can't afford to have him out. Yeah, and he'd never be allowed doing to work a dirty in John. Age, aged care or anything like yeah. that again. Because yeah. that's not unlike Dirty John who mm. snuck around and and um, murdered yeah. people. Wow. I know. Kirsten, can you hear me swallowing when I'm – I bet she can. She hasn't sent a message saying stop swallowing. We <laughs> were both trying to drink tea really quietly to see if Kirsten could hear us. I'm try- I was told this morning that I'm a loud swallower. Hmm. And I think I am. I don't know what it is. It's something to do with my... Who said that to you? Uh, my daughter. Oh. oh, here it is. Okay, Kirsten. Uh, haha. Now that you've pointed it out, but only slightly. <laughs> I was trying to do it while you were talking. Yes. All right. Um, I'm just deciding which story to do, and I think I will do the story of little Vicky Barton. So I just want to credit the Canberra Times because I read um, their article to get some of this information. This, going back to Friday, 17th of January, so the very height of summer in 1969. Where are we? We are Sorry, in the Blue Mountains oh, in New South Wales. You are in Australia. In Australia, yep. yeah. So a little eight-year-old girl, Victoria Ellen Barton. Everyone called her Vicky, so we'll call her Vicky Barton. Mm-hmm. She was staying with her family. And uh, hang on, her family were staying with friends, mm-hmm. the Hearts, at their holiday cottage, which was in the back street of Lawson, which is in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. So it was quite late in the day. You can just picture it, can't you? I mean, Blue Mountains are beautiful. Yes. The summer day, late in the day, about six o'clock. And Vicky and some of the other kids were on their way to the Lawson and swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Vicky was wearing a blue and white check dress. Oh, I had one of those with pink roses on it. Remember being little and clothes were probably cooler when you were little, but to have a little... Well, my mum used to dress us the same. She used to sew all our clothes. Did she make you a little blue check dress with pink yeah, roses we on? Yeah, always dressed the same. That's with frilly so white socks. Sweet. And red binding around the armholes. I remember mum used to make little oh, dresses for me. yeah, yeah. And it was called Rick Rack. Yeah. And she would put it around the hem and around the armholes. So sweet. Uh, her mum did her hair in two short plaits. And Vicky was really thrilled by that because her hair had got long enough that she could have plaits, plaits. done in it. Yeah. Uh, she usually wore glasses, but she didn't have them on on that particular day. So the kids all walked together up to the main road, the Great Western Highway. And they started walking towards the hotel in Lawson, which is opposite the station and the subway. 
and the pool is on the other side of the station. So they're on the other side of the road, station's over there, pool's over there as well. Uh, one of the other little girls, Anne Hart, so that was the family that Vicky was staying with, she had a bike with her and she gave one of the kids, Gary, a dink down to the hotel. A dink. He crossed the road to the pool. Uh, she then rode back and she gave Vicky a dink to the hotel so she could then cross to the pool. Yep. Uh, dropped her off. She then rode back to the others and she'd left Vicky on the crossing outside the hotel. The other children were only about 40 or 50 yards away. So what's that, about 30 metres or so. Yep. Um, the, the other kids were waiting outside the news agents and they were talking to a friend waiting for their dink down to the hotel. Um, the other kids saw Vicky step onto the road. She then quickly stepped back because a car rushed past. Okay. And then they looked again a, a minute later, they say, and Vicky had disappeared. Oh. So the children thought that Vicky, like Gary just before her, had gone across the road to the pool. Okay. Um, and when they got to the pool and she wasn't there, they thought she must have gone back home again. Yep. So when they got home at about 10 to 8 that night, Vicky's mum, Yvonne, asked them where Vicky was and they didn't know. So she was missing. The home was a happy home. She wasn't in the habit of wandering away. This was really out of character for her. Do you know, even just in the way she was dressed and yeah. her hair done, you knew she was loved. That yeah. was a loved little girl. So police gave her description to police stations throughout New South Wales and a big search began. There was a report of a car being driven off at high speed from where Vicky was last seen. Vicky's mum, Yvonne, said she'd never have gone with a stranger. She was a real mummy's girl and I taught her never to get into a stranger's car. Yeah. Vicky's dad, Ron, said he thought she might have crossed into the subway and was seized there. I remember my parents saying that to me as a kid. Like, and what would you do if a car pulled up and blah, blah, yeah, blah. don't get in. Yeah, who are the people that would only ever pick you up from school? Yeah. And it was always only my parents or our neighbour. And our neighbour used to pick us up. And sometimes. that all came. Parents were all saying that, and I can't remember the name of the little boy. There was a little boy who was kidnapped in Sydney. I feel like we might have covered it on the pod. I think we have. Okay. He, it was the first kidnapping. It was like a, a migrant had decided to get rich quick, and the little boy's parents had won the lottery, and it was in the paper. Oh, yes, you remember were the they case? A, like an. Um... It was in Sydney. I can't think of his name. I should know it. Um, was it a young Chinese boy? No, oh. no. Um, and yeah, and so the, the because it had been publicised that the parents had won yeah. all this money, this guy thought that he would kidnap the kid, right. but then he did a bad job of it and the little boy died. So it was because of that that yeah. our parents, who yeah. were the parents at that time, then told all their yeah, kids. Yeah, I remember my, don't pa- get my dad questioning me about what would you do and blah, blah, blah. And if a per- car pulled up, where would you run? And yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, it all stemmed from that. I remember my dad telling me to run backwards because it would I can turn around and run any way I want. It would take a car longer to do a U-turn. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Papa Vella. Right. Every time. He's yeah, the best, isn't I remember he? that. Yeah. Um, so Vicky's parents couldn't understand why nobody had heard her scream or saw her struggle. Yvonne said someone must have seen something. Of someone course. must know something. Always. So the next day the search continued. Police said that they had not given up hope that Vicky might just be lost and they sent a search party into the Blue Mountains. They um, were keeping open the possibility of a kidnap. Tuesday, the 21st of January, this is nearly a week after Vicky had gone missing, mm-hmm. there was a new lead. Someone reported having seen a dark-coloured sedan stopped on the Katoomba side of the subway near Lawson Station at about 6.30pm. Mm-hmm. They said that two small girls, 
aged about eight and ten with dark hair, had gotten out of the car and crossed the road to where a fair-haired girl was standing. And this person reporting it said that they took the fair-haired girl back across the road. Um, And as the three girls together were crossing the road, an early model Holden drove past. So one of the young girls with Vicky called out something to the driver of that Holden that drove past, but the car didn't stop. So police took about 2,000 calls from people with information. They were now saying it was possible that Vicky had got onto one of two trains which had gone through Lawson Station around the time of her disappearance. Mm -hmm. The trains had stopped at 6.28 and 6.35, one of them going to Katoomba and the other one going to Sydney. By Friday the 24th of January... A reporter employed by the Australian newspaper received a call demanding ransom money for Vicky Barton. So the reporter, whose name was Derry Hogue, said that the man who sounded Australian said, Vicky stays alive for $5,000, then hung up. So the search. a lot of money. In those days, days, though, hang on, we're in the late 1960s. Oh, it's a lot of money then. It's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, it is, but not an enormous amount. I wouldn't think more than sort of 50,000 these days. I'm just wildly plucking that number out of the air, and I'm terrible with money, so I could be wrong. So because of that, they scaled the search down, thinking that it was now a kidnap situation. The police still weren't sure about the two dark-haired girls that had been seen with Vicky. On Saturday, the 25th of January, 1969, this is the ninth day of the search, the New South Wales government offered a $5,000 reward uh, matches the thing. Okay, yep. So I guess they were trying to hope that whoever yes. had her would take that. Um, they had skin divers by this stage searching the Wentworth Falls Lake. Now, around the same time, police were keeping a watch on Sydney's GPO and Martin Place. Okay. To people in other countries called the General Post Office's GPO, just in case. Yeah. Uh, someone had called a local radio station to say that Vicky would be found on the steps leading to the colonnade at the GPO, but that turned out to be a hoax. Okay. Uh, Tuesday, the 4th of February, 1969, 19 days after Vicky went missing, police searched the Parramatta area for a station wagon that had been seen carrying a girl answering Vicky's description. A man had been driving the car and he had two girls and a boy with him, but they didn't find anything there. So police thought that Vicky might be being held captive somewhere in the valleys of the Blue Mountains, but heavy rain had started falling and Mm -hmm. they did have a helicopter search, but they had to call that off because of the rain. So they really were at a dead end. So it was seven months later the Australian Women's Weekly ran a feature and it said that Vicky's parents, Yvonne and Rod, and I read a little bit of it, they lived in a modest cottage in Wentworth Falls. Uh, It said that Vicky's sister, Kim, cried whenever her name was mentioned and Vicky's mum said, "Um, it's altered our lives in so many ways, quite apart from the grief and the worry. Wherever we go, in the street, at the railway stations, in the bank, we see those big coloured posters of Vicky offering Mm. the $5,000 reward. Everywhere we go, people point us out and whisper, and our friends don't know how to treat us anymore, whether to talk about Vicky or not talk about her. We don't know either. If we talk, we get upset and we upset other people. If we don't, some say we must be callous. So I'm she... big on talking about the elephant in the room. Yes, same. Yeah. Yeah. I think Always. you have to. Yeah. yeah, you have to. Just get out of the way. Get it done. Yeah. And everyone feels more at ease. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
You're right. It's healthier, isn't it? Yeah. Um, she said that not knowing was the worst part. Uh, so she would tell herself that Vicky must be dead. She said, it's almost easier to think so, but I can't really believe it. I never will, not until it's proved. Then some hope. Police thought they had found Vicky. Oh. A man had just brought a girl to school at a local school. She was fair-haired like Vicky. Her front teeth were slightly protruded like Vicky's and her eye teeth were missing just like Vicky. Yeah. And she even had a wart on her hand like Vicky had. Oh. And the man said that his wife had recently died. So he didn't even know if his daughter was seven or eight. Oh. He wasn't even sure how to spell her name. So a very alert school teacher called police but the girl had brown eyes and Vicky's eyes were blue, so oh. it was another dead end. Around this time, a clairvoyant said that Vicky was murdered and was in a shallow grave in a place which was to her right when she was last seen. So if we go back to where the children were and where she was when she disappeared, on the, her right was a park. Yep which was behind the entrance to Honor Avenue. So the clairvoyant also said that Vicky's body would be found within two months. And the clairvoyant said that Vicky was murdered in revenge by someone who hated Ron and Yvonne. Now, I just want to point out that the clairvoyant was wrong on all three points there. Oh, God. But on Monday, the 3rd of August, 1970, we're now a year and a half after Vicky went missing, yep. an eight-year-old girl named Hannah Dostal was playing hide-and-seek with her sister. Oh, no. Uh, yep. Her sister Rebecca in scrub behind homes in Gross Street in Springwood. So this is about 17 miles from where Vicky disappeared and Hannah found a skull. Oh. She told her mother, her mother said there was still some blonde hair on it. Other parts of the skeleton were found nearby along with a white cardigan, which was like the one that Vicky had been wearing and one sock. An X-ray was compared with Vicky's dental records and the fillings matched. So Just a skull, not the rest of the body? Yeah. Um, it was her. They found a black patent leather shoe. The, and that's not necessarily due to... You know, sometimes animals can come and move things around. Yeah, okay. It's usually the clothes are more likely to be found because the animals don't want those. Yeah. So the city coroner returned an open finding and said that it was a reasonable presumption that Vicky had met with foul play. On the 16th of January 1971, Vicky's remains were buried in Penrith Cemetery. It was exactly two years after she disappeared. Two years later, the New South Wales government renewed the $5,000 reward. Six years later... Oh. A TV reporter by the name of Gerald Stone. Does that ring a bell with no. you? So he went on to be executive producer of 60 Minutes Australia. Oh, right. Very okay. well regarded. I think he was originally American. Uh, he got a tip off and he interviewed a 36-year-old ex-convict who told him that he knew who had killed Vicky Barton. So while he was in jail, he said there was another inmate who was serving an 18-month sentence for assaulting a woman at a railway station and he bragged that he had killed Vicky Barton. So Gerald Stone told the police and the man was arrested. He appeared before Katoomba Court, charged with Vicky's murder. Oh. He was remanded and refused bail and as he was let out of the courthouse, his mother shouted, the police are bloody liars. So the man was 24-year-old. He was married. He was unemployed. His name was Alfred James Jessup. He was committed for trial. 
His sister Kathleen, who was 21, told the court that he had forced her to have sexual intercourse with him oh. two or three times around the time of Vicky's murder when she was only 12 years old. She said that uh, he had been away from the rest of the family for part of the day that Vicky disappeared. Okay. Uh, so they, the police took him for a tour of the area where she'd gone missing. And he said, so he's confessed by now, he said he used a billy cart tied oh. behind his bike to get her body from where he'd killed her to where he dumped her. 17 kilometres. It's a long ride, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he admitted to police that he'd seen Vicky standing near the Lawson Hotel yep. and that he'd, I don't, he must have somehow talked her into going along a track along on an avenue hand in hand. So I'm just going to defend the clairvoyant because that was the area where yeah. she said she'd be found. Um, he took her onto the Lawson Oval and strangled her when she refused to have sex with him. Oh. She was eight years old. He told police, what attracted me to her was oh, that she was a nice sort of girl. I started to cuddle her to keep her warm and she broke off. That's when she got me mad and I strangled her. I thought she might tell her mother and I didn't want to get into trouble. So when she was dead, he said he carried her over his shoulder. At his trial in February 1978, Jessup pleaded, uh, pleaded not guilty. Uh, he had admitted strangling Vicky in the police interview, but he then told the jury in court that that was a, polo uh, a false confession. The trial lasted for two days. The jury deliberated for five hours. Wow. Jessup was found... Guilty. Yes, of yep. murder. Yep. And they ordered a psychiatric report. It described him as a sexual psychopath. Because he was under 18 at the time of the offence, a life sentence wasn't mandatory. But he was sentenced to life. So that was yep. reduced on appeal. Oh. And he was released <gasps> in 2003. Uh, while he was in prison... The first time, he had to be stopped from writing letters to young girls whose names he found in the newspaper. After being freed, he has breached... Right, don't Google it yet because there's more. After being okay. freed, he breached numerous child protection orders. He started yeah. using a different name, David Wilkes. Yeah. He was convicted of assaulting a, assaulting a woman in 2006. He was given a good behaviour bond. His neighbours in Liverpool in southwestern Sydney in 2010 had no idea about his past. How good's the parole board? Uh, I'm not too good at this point. Yeah. Um, these neighbours, this is as recent as 2010, yep. said that he would shine a torch on them as they drove past. He wasn't at that stage under any supervision by authorities. June 12, 2009, Jessup, now 55, had built a replica of the bicycle trailer that he used to carry Vicky's body. And he had been seen cycling through Western Sydney streets with it. So the Corrective Services Commissioner, Ron Woodham, described Jessup as a walking time bomb. He said, I've got serious concerns about what this, what this bloke's up to and we're scrutinising him even more closely as a result. I would put Jessup in the highest bracket of people with the potential to seriously harm someone. Hannah, the little girl who found Vicky's skull, says it completely destroyed my childhood. For years he was still out there and I never felt safe again. They have let a predator loose on the streets. And that is where it ends for me. I've got to confess I wrote that up um, some time ago, March. Um, so I don't know where he is at the moment. So the name, are you Googling? Yeah, but what's his name So he now? was using Wilkes, W-I-L-K-E-S. Hang on, I'll get the first name for you. David Wilkes. But it could also be under 
just it could be his uh here she is trying to sorry everyone you're having to listen to Kerr, chanel and i just typing it's james alfred james jessup well he must still live there's nothing like the last kind of mm. thing from him is 2009 2010 which is what you yeah. said it's weird for me not to have like I like a conclusion so it's weird that I haven't got that so I must have looked and not been able to find anything more of where he is now but um it sounds as though he's still out on the streets yeah but he's surely and this is comes down to that question of do they inform people when there is a, a a child sexual predator I mean if he was described as a sexual psychopath then surely people who live near him should know no no they don't tell you and if he's just going to change his name again, they shouldn't let people like that change their names. No. Mm. So there you are. That's poor little Vicky Barton in her sweet little dress. Oh, my God. And her poor parents and her poor the little girl that found her. Everyone. It's awful. Just checking to see if we're... You're up, Chanel. No, I've already, up. I've already done my story. Have you? Yes. Why did I forget that? I don't know. All right, shall we do some feedback? Glad you liked it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Give me some feedback. Okay, go for it. Okay, we've got this from... You spilt tea on your top. I just spilt tea on my top. Okay, you fix yourself. Where are the tissues? There's always tissues in here because Bailey sits in here. <laughs> and, and I will read. We've got from Emily. Oh, hang on. No, stop talking while I go and get something. Jesus. This woman is a professional radio broadcaster. She's running. 21-year-old boys go through lots of tissues. tissues. Perfect. Okay. All right, I'm back and I'm blotted. All right, she's clean. Emily has emailed with more info on the Luna Park ghost train inferno Ooh. and the devil horned man. Ooh. This was from episode 82 where we talked about the Sydney Luna Park ghost train mm-hmm. fire um, and the fact that the last known photo of one of the victims, a boy named Damien, was taken with him standing with the devil horned man. That man in the mask has never been identified and over the years there have been many theories about who or what he was. Emily says, the main theory is that the man was dressed as the pagan god Moloch. Moloch? And asked that children are to be sacrificed through fire. Didi's just taken a photo of my socks. Well, you t- Okay, but you can take a photo of my top today. Take a photo of my windshield. So, not with the stain on it, but there. Try not to get my ugly head in place. Oh, you just want your top in there. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I'm wearing really high socks yep. underneath my jeans because, as we know, I don't do ankle. <laughs> I'd actually quote you. My ankies are cold. They are. My ankies get cold. Um, I'll do another feedback because Dee Dee's... I'm texting pictures of what we're wearing to texting. Kirsten. This is from Melissa. She says, Dear Dee Dee, Chanel and Kirsten, nice things, nice things. I absolutely love your podcast. Last night I had a dream that I met Chanel in far north Queensland and I said hello. Told her I loved the podcast and asked if she had the Wii ring on. Have we done this feedback? No. Or have, have I just we? read it? It's possible I've repeated one. I don't know. Read it again anyway. Okay. People she followed me We've to a pub in the middle of nowhere and Dee Dee showed up and we got on my motorbike. She doesn't have one. We rode down the road <laughs> and there was someone trying to blow up cars. So I took took off down the road, down a hill, through some bushes and we were saved. That was the end of the dream. She apologizes mm. to Kirsten for not being in it. Um, she also we says, can't script your dreams. 
God, I've been I having strange that, be... dreams of late. I had a dream the other night my, my teeth fell out. Oh, I've got no, – okay, so we're sitting near my – I've got a dream, dream book. book. I do. Okay. You look for it. Yeah, so I'll tell you about my dream. So I was having a dream. Oh, God, this could be going back to suppository talk. So the other day I was at court and I had a metallic taste in my mouth. Oh, that's a vitamin thing. Is it? Oh, okay. Well, I had a metallic taste in my mouth that kind of tasted like blood and I was worried and then I wanted to touch my tongue, but then I was worried about Rona, so I didn't do that. So then I just got a tissue and dabbed my tongue. There was no blood there. But then that night I had a dream that my bloody teeth fell out. And yeah, I'm saying teeth. Um, And I remember in my dream touching my gums with my tongue and there was no teeth there. But I have been having all sorts of dreams during COVID times. Okay, I was just missing because I was looking for the dream book. I think it's up next to my bed. I love a bit of dream interpretation, but I can look Let it up online. Teeth. Teeth's interesting. What would that be? Yeah, missing teeth. Missing teeth in dream. Kirsten hates this because she's going to have to like edit this. Um, when you lose teeth... Uh, dreams where you lose teeth are typically associated with feelings of powerless, powerlessness and loss of control. Well, that's the whole world right now. Yeah. We're all losing control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this episode will have a special treat. You'll also get a picture of um, Chanel's ankles and my windsheeter. Yes. Happy days. Happy is, days. Is that an episode? I think it is. Yeah, let's leave it at that. Righto. That's, all your, that's your blooming lot. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.